Welcome to part four of This Is Jesus, and let's just get started. Um, growing up, I was considered like a good kid, you know? Um, you know, everyone always compares toddlers to toddlers. I, I, from what I've been told, I can't really remember, I, I was a good toddler. Um, here's a pic of me on the screen, I don't know if it's there, is it stretched? Oh, it looks good. Look at the face of that kid. He can do no wrong, right? And my mom always used to reminisce about, or still does, uh, you were such a good boy, is what she said. And, and here's the thing, my mom is never wrong, so I'm going to rely on that, you know. Um, but I can think about probably my earliest memory of me doing something wrong, like something mean. I was in fourth grade, and I don't know what the context was, but there was a rumor about this girl. And this kid told me about it, and I thought it was crazy. So I told like 10 kids, like the generic, like you have your hand cupped over your mouth, whispering to kids, like that was me. And I told so many kids in a short amount of time, so much so that this girl heard about it and started to cry. Yeah, so she goes to the teacher. It's terrible, I'm like reliving it right now. And she goes to the teacher and she's like, you know, like, you know, I heard this, you know, this is what's going on. She's crying to the teacher and um, the teacher starts interviewing kids and they're like, well, well Andrew told me. And so she comes to me and she says, Andrew, what did you do? And I said, I turned it completely around. I said, oh, no, no, Adam told me. And I was just telling everyone, how could Adam say something like that? And she's like, okay. And then Adam gets in trouble. And I don't. I was just as guilty, right? And here's the thing. A little kid turned it around to make himself look like he was good, you know? And here's the funny part. Um, when this happens, you know, maybe you're sitting here and you're like, okay, that, that was really cool. You just showed a, a baby picture of yourself. We're talking about you in fourth grade. Like, that's great. But this is adult church, right? We get to talk about adult issues. We're just, that story was about a child, right? And the point I'm getting at is exactly. See, if that was me when I was young, I can only imagine that it probably was you when you were young too. And see, as we've grown, well, we've gotten better at making ourselves look better. Isn't that true? Like sometimes like we're able to just kind of change things a certain way or to put a spin on something and we walk out looking like the good person. See other people, they, they may have looked at me when I was a kid and said, oh, you're such a great boy, such a good kid. But, but think about it though, compared to who? Because if you compare me to like a worse kid, then yeah, of course I'm going to look better. And see, that's what we often do. See, what people don't typically remember about me is that I was a wild kid. Like I did fun things. Like, like my buddies and I, like we, we used to go around filming fun things. And one time there was like this pool store and this pool store had a, like the display pool outside. And I thought it'd be an awesome idea. Yo, yo, roll the camera, roll the camera. And I go sprinting in and just jump into the pool, display pool. You're not supposed to do that. Did it. Um, another time we were, my friend and I, same friend, we were on a roof of a building because we just climbed up there because we wanted to. And it was right overlooking Jericho Turnpike. So a lot of people were able to see us. And, uh, you know, so, you know, we do our thing. He's, he films. We wanted to get some shots up there. So we're filming each other and whatever. And as we're down, uh, a cop, the cops come. They, they got, someone called the cops. I mean, okay. And so as the cops come, apparently what happened was someone thought two teenagers were robbing the tool store that we were on. Um, from the roof. And so the cops came, and, and as they pull up, I'm always going to remember this. Like, I hear the radio going, like, possible robbery in progress, you know? And I'm like, is that me? Like, we were just at the tool store. Like, you know, and the, the cops come out, and they interview us, and we were like, uh, yeah, we're just filming our rap video. You know, like, that's what we were doing. 
And, you know, I was a wild kid. Like, we did some fun things and not always right things. And here's the thing. That I've also hurt people. I've also done other mean things than other than fourth grade. And it's so easy to then say, oh, well, let me just compare myself to someone else because it makes us feel better. And the problem is that we, when we compare ourselves to other, others, we try to make ourselves feel better about ourselves. But here's the thing we need to realize something about our definition of goodness. It's that often our concept of good can be based off of comparison. That if I were to walk out of here, the majority of people and say, hey, do you view yourself as a good person? Majority of us would say, yes, yes, I, I do view myself as a good person. And see, this is what we do. We put people in the two categories. There's good people and then there's bad people. And see, what we're tempted to do then is then compare ourselves to the bad people and we'll say stuff like, oh, well, well I'm not broken. And then we'll, like, we'll try to list good things about ourselves. Like, uh, I, don't, I don't have any addictions. Uh, you know, I, I don't have any like, really serious problems. I get angry here and there, but it's, not, it's under control. We may say, I'm good. I, I give to charity. You know, I, I help out at church, or I go to church every Sunday or twice a month. And whatever it may be, whatever our definition to make ourselves feel better, the goal of why we do that is because we try to tell ourselves, hey, I am nothing like them. Because they're the ones that really need Jesus, right? Like, oh, we believe sometimes, oh, they're not strong enough. Like, they are the ones that need a crutch. Like, when we come to church and we hear these messages, well, the messages are, they're good for my soul to hear, but they're really for the bad people. We often assume that we're a good person. And then when we assume that, we assume that, oh, and God sees that. He sees all the good I'm doing, and he owes me now. He owes me. And see, if we took an honest look at our lives, if I take an honest look at my life daily, what I do every single day, right, I can almost live apart from God. Not like an, an outright defiance, and maybe that's, not, that's you here today too, but mostly it's like we go throughout our day and we, what are we relying on? We're relying on our own goodness. Because a lot of us really don't think we're all that bad. And here's why. Because I think American religion, when I say that, I'm not talking about a, a certain religion. I'm talking about American, the culture of American religion is more like a game of tip the scales. What do I mean by that? I mean that a lot of times it's almost like there's two scales. I mean, there's one scale, I mean, and, and there's the good things we do on one side and the bad things we do on the other. And we just need to tip it. We need to make sure that we do more good to outweigh the bad. That's what our culture kind of believes religion is. And sometimes it infiltrates into you and I. We got to earn. We got to confess to this priest or we got to do these good things or we need to say these prayers. We need to stop doing this sin as much. We need to, and we begin to make it about the good that we do or don't do. The more that you do, the gooder you are, right? It's not a word, I know, but it proved the point. I read something really, really, really crazy in Business Insider this week um, about China. In 2020, China is creating a new system, maybe you've learned about this, called the social credit system. And it's kind of like a credit score, like here in America, we have credit scores, or throughout the world, there's credit scores, right? But what they're doing is they're doing it based off of social class or based off of behavior. So your social credit score can go up 
or it can go down based on your behavior. And they're not completely sure how they gauge it, but some examples in this article, we're talking about bad driving, uh, smoking in, in non-smoking areas, buying too many video games was one of them. Um, I guess they penalize the Fortnite people, right? Um, or posting false info online, like they, that, that all plays into it. And here's the thing though, if your social credit score is high, you can get benefits. You can get better interest rates, discount on your energy bills, you get better choices of schools and jobs. But if you're bad, it's crazy. They can prevent you from flying. Like, oh, your score is too low? Yeah, you, you can't buy a plane ticket. You can't buy a train ticket. They slow your internet down, which some of you would argue is worse, right? <laughs> they limit your choice of school. Some of the kids are like, I don't care. But that would be detrimental to the job that you'll get. And they can blacklist you from certain jobs. But by far the worst one that I heard is that they could take your dog away. Like that's hard. Like some of you would give up your kids before you give up your dog. And argumentably, argumentably, like dogs make people better. Like why would you take it away and make them worse? But here's the thing. See, that's happening in our world today. And I don't know if that's a good system or not. I guess time will tell. Luckily it's not here. But we can often live like there's a spiritual credit score that you and I have to please. Like if I, if I read my Bible every day, I give to charity. You know, I do this or I do that, right? And I, I, my credit score, my spiritual credit score, if it existed, would be high, right? We can almost live like that. And the problem with that is once we believe that we kind of tip the scales where we've done more good than bad, or we've earned our score and it's higher now, our default mode is to then kind of live apart from Jesus. Maybe we're not doing it on purpose, but it's nonetheless true. And a Christian in the room, you might say, well, yeah, Jesus is my savior. But my question for you this morning is, but is your hope in him solely or is it also rooted in your good? And today is a, a message where we check our hearts because it depends a lot how we live out our faith. Some of you here today, you're saying, Andrew, I'm hearing you talk and it's great and all, but if the spiritual credit score actually existed, like I would have low. Like I would be in the low category. If not, I would have none. Maybe that's you today. And, and, you're, and you're tempted to kind of look at the good people, and I say that in air quotes, right? And say, I am never gonna be that. I can never be that. And therefore, God must not want me. But to this morning, we find something very different in scripture. So I'll encourage you to look into what we're going to be talking about here today. And there's others of us who said, well, if the spiritual credit score existed, well, it would be high. I would, I would be like in the high 800s, like let's go, right? And what I would say to you is this, that so often when we rely on our goodness, I think we, lit, we enter into trying to be our own savior and argumentably we can miss out on God. And so like I said, as we look in the scriptures, we see that this is not true, that there is so much more because world systems try to control morality right and and to some degree like that that credit system the social credit system might actually work and you may get participation but inwardly our hearts can remain unchanged sin is still there and see the sad truth is that often in my experience the good people in quotes they tend to be kind of the worst, you know? They can be judgmental. They can be far from the heart of Christ. And see, because their faith is rooted in their own 
works. And this is why it's important we talk about this, because I know I can get there sometimes, I know you can get there sometimes, and we don't want to be there. Because our own goodness, when, we really, when it really comes down to it, it doesn't last. It's unable to save. You and I, we need something more. We forget that we are in a consistent need of a Savior. And this is Jesus. So Christian, where is your hope today? We want to make sure that it's rooted where it belongs. And if you're not a Christian or you're new to church and this is maybe your first, second, third, whatever time, uh, first off, we're glad you're here and we hope you see that this is a place where we're trying to genuinely live out our faith, the best that God calls us to. And I ho- as we open scripture this morning, I hope you'll see that faith is much more than just trying to outweigh the good and bad, right? It's so much more than that, that Jesus has another way, and I hope you would join us as we dive in this morning. And so we're going to be in Luke 18, and it's a parable that Jesus told that gives us an insight into the heart of God. But before we go there, I kind of want to dive in, and I want to ask this one question. Where does good come from? Because a lot of times, I think it really helps for us to understand, hey, where does the source of good come from? How do I handle it in life? And we're going to kind of quickly go through that here today. So let's dive in. Romans excuse me, 3.23 says this, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We've heard this before. We've heard this verse, and it reminds us of the grace that we have in Jesus. But look what it says a little bit earlier in Romans 3.10. As it is written, there is none righteous, not even one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become useless. There is none who does good. There is not even one. Maybe you're sitting here reading the scripture. You said, glad I came to church today. The Bible just told me I'm bad, you know? And we're going to close in prayer and go home. No, (laughs) there's more to it. And here's what we see. As we read that scripture, it's going to be a little hard and challenging this morning, but I believe it leads to a good end. Um, We see this, that no one is good in of themselves. And see, this is why we need a savior. This is why when we try to control morality with laws or whatever, it's not going to work because my sin, your sin needs to be dealt with because we can control the outward, but it doesn't change the inward. So we need a, someone to come and take our sins away from the inward. And see, this contradicts the idea that humans are inherently good. Maybe we've heard that ideology in our culture before. Oh, I believe that humans are inherently good. See, here, here's, that could be a whole message in itself, and I'm going to leave that to someone smarter than me. But here's what I'm going to say about that. The people that probably believe that humans are inherently good are people that aren't parents yet, Right? <laughs> And there's laughter in the room from you parents because you know what I'm talking about. See, I don't have a kid. I just have a new puppy at home. Uh, her name's Lainey. She's cute. I would show a picture, but I don't have one at the moment. Um, I need to teach her how to do good, not to do bad, because bad is something that comes natural, right? Some of your kids are the same way. You know what I'm talking about, parents. And it, I'm sorry that I compared your kids to a dog. I apologize. I didn't do it on purpose. Yet it's written in here as a joke, so I guess I did do it on purpose. Right? But... You see that, that from infancy, the little fourth grade me, right? Like, like, you had to teach me, like, Andrew, that's not the nicest thing to do, right? And, and if you turn on the news, we see the way people treat each other. Man, I, I have to say, like, man, I wish good came naturally, but it, it doesn't. And here's what we need to understand. Because maybe you're sitting here and saying, well, Andrew, okay, that's great, but people do good things all the time. Like, and some of them are not necessarily Christian. So how do you explain that? And here's how I'll attempt to explain it. 
I want you to picture this. If a three-year-old kid came walking up to you and she had a big suitcase, you're like, what's in the suitcase? And she opened it and it was $5,000 in cash. You would not assume, you would assume that it was given to her or she took it from somewhere. You would not assume that she earned it, right? Because a little kid with that amount of money, you'd be like, well, what happened here? You know, you would know that something was up, that it was gifted from somewhere else. And see, here's the common grace that God gives to everyone, that God bestows on the world because he's a good God. Regardless of belief, we can find true goodness on this planet because God put it here. It originates from him. And see, you and I were able to do good things. People are able to do good things because of God. It's, in a sense, through him. And see, we often forget that. You know, as if that we were the three-year-old who thought we earned that money. No, no, it was gifted, right? It was given or taken, whatever the story, it was my example, but, you know. We often think it's from us, but really it originates from God. See, think about the stock market. If goodness was a stock that could be bought or traded, God would own all of the stock on goodness. It would be a monopoly. He would own it all. Any good that we see in this life, it originates from him. And see, this is good for us to understand because then we realize something, that we are stewards of his goodness, that we can tap into his presence and then do good things, that it's not that we do good things to get his love, it's that we are loved by him and he enables us to do good things. And so the, the first thing that we see is where does good come from? Well, the answer is true good comes from God alone. And see, understanding that, I believe, will hopefully shape where we're going here this morning. Because Jesus told a parable in Luke 18. He told the parable to a bunch of people who thought that their good was their own, and they gloried in it. And I think that in 2019, and in a culture that is steeped about performance and about accomplishment, that is really really relevant to what we're going to be talking about because the hearers, they trusted in themselves. They, in a sense, had a high social score. And so we're going to be in Luke chapter 18, verse 9. And he, Jesus, also told this parable to some people who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and viewed others with contempt. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. And so Jesus chose these two men on purpose. See, a parable, what a parable was, it was a made-up story that was, its whole point was to teach a point. So Jesus is, is looking to teach these people, so he makes a story tailored to create a lesson. And so Jesus selected these people because they can't be any more opposite. People who were standing there, if you and I were standing there listening to this this parable, we would assume, oh, well, the Pharisee is, is the good guy, and the tax collector, was, who was viewed as a traitor to their people, would be considered the bad guy. Their, their first reaction would be to judge. Jesus continues in verse 11. The Pharisee stood and was praying this to himself. God, I thank you that I am not like other people, swindlers, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I pay tithes to all I get. And here we see an insight into how the, the Pharisee is praying. He says this, God, look at what I'm doing. He compares himself to the bad people. 
And then he leans on all the good that he is doing. He is comparing, and he's kind of, in a sense, he's tipping the scales in his favor. I had a friend growing up who randomly came up to me one day. I guess he wanted to talk about something, and we were just talking. And he said, hey, man, he's like, I'm just thinking about my life. He's like, throughout my life, he's like, I had like, I had like six girlfriends so far. And I'm like, okay. At that point, I was like, I had zero, so way to rub it in. And, um, but, I, but as I began to talk with him further, I could see that he was bothered by that. And then he, he brought up one of his other friends. He said, but my other friend, he is 11. He's like, I feel like six isn't that bad, but 11, 11's a lot. And I don't remember where the conversation went after that, but I remember thinking, I was like, I feel like he just found someone who had more girlfriends than him to make himself feel better. You know what I mean? Like, oh, like, like this guy really messed up, and I only messed up, you know, six times. Like, it didn't work out. Okay, you know? And, and here's the thing. I remember that stuck with me because I feel like that's something that I do too, right? It's something that you do, is that we compare ourselves to someone that we decide is in a worse situation or in a different situation that's further progressed than ours. In the sense to compare, in the sense to make ourselves feel better, either to A, justify our behavior, or B, to make ourselves feel better. And see, some of us have gotten so good at this. Maybe it's subconscious. Maybe it's on purpose. Who knows? But the result is that some of us have been so good at this that we can't even see our sin. Like the Pharisee, he didn't see anything wrong with himself. He doesn't acknowledge his sin in his prayer. He doesn't say, hey God, I need this grace. Hey God, I did this. He just talks about himself. In his eyes, he was God's golden child. And God owed him. His prayer and focus was all about him, that he was making himself his own savior. See, before you and I can be really judgmental to this Pharisee, we need to kind of put the mirror on ourselves because we do this. Man, I, I do this, right? And this is a dangerous place for us to be, and that's why it's important we talk about it because a lot of the, us who are bad, in quotes, right? See, we know we're bad, and we go to God for it, but some of us who we think we're just so good, man, we miss out on God altogether, so it's important we realize that this is a dangerous place to be because when we rely on our goodness, we begin to feel entitled. And see, when we feel the most entitled is when we are most prone to sin. We could think about, man, you know what? I'm always sacrificing for others. You know, I'm up late caring for these people. I'm doing this and I work hard at my job. I'm honest. Man, I feel like I need something for me. You know, that person steals all the time, but I'm just going to do it this once. Or, or that person, it looks like they're having a great time doing things they shouldn't do. Well, I'm, they do it all the time. I'm just going to do it once. It's not a big deal. We compare our sins to others. You know, I can get angry, but man, look at her. She really freaks out, right? You know, I may cheat on my taxes a bit, but, you know, a guy might work. He, like, steals from the company. Man. You know, I'm just talking to another woman online. She's, I don't even know where she lives. I'm never going to meet her, right? But, but, oh, my neighbor down the block, he's cheating on his wife. You know, and we compare our situations to others, but we need to realize the truth is that our own justification doesn't eliminate our sin, and our sin doesn't cease to exist when we compare it to someone else's. It's still there. We are in need of saving. We need a daily dose of grace. And here's a beautiful thing about Jesus. 
Is that exactly what he came to do? And there is that grace for the sin that you and I commit. And we are more loved than we know here this morning. But maybe you're sitting here like, all right, Andrew, to be honest, you just listed a whole bunch of really tough things. But that Pharisee, like, he's, he, he doesn't seem all that bad other than he's kind of, seems a little bit arrogant. But does that really make him a bad guy? I want to talk about something this morning that I think is really important. Like, this next concept is huge. And it's this, is that sometimes, track with me here, the reason behind us doing a good deed can be a sinful reason. You ever think about that? Sometimes the reason that we do something good is the underlying reason is that it's sin. That outwardly everyone's like, oh, what a great job. You just did all these things. But the, re- the force behind it can be sin. I have a story to illustrate this. Charles Spurgeon tells this story. He says this, once upon a time, there was a king who ruled over everything in a land. One day, there was a gardener who grew an enormous carrot. He took it to his king and said, My lord, this is the greatest carrot I've ever grown or ever will grow. Therefore, I want to present it to you as a token of my love and respect for you. The king was touched and discerned the man's heart. And as he turned to go, the king said, Wait, you are clearly a good steward of the earth. I want to give you a plot of land freely as a gift so that you can garden it all. The gardener was amazed delighted, and went home rejoicing. But there was a nobleman at the king's court who overheard all of this. And he said, my, if that's what you'll get for a carrot, what if you gave the king something better? The next day, the nobleman came before the king and he was leading a handsome black stallion. He bowed low and said, my lord, I breed horses, and this is the greatest horse I've ever bred or ever will. Therefore, I want to present this to you as a token of my love and respect for you. But the king discerned his heart and said, thank you, and took the horse and simply dismissed him. The nobleman, perplexed, was perplexed, so the king said, let me explain. The gardener was giving me the carrot, but you were giving yourself the horse. So here's what we see from that story. The nobleman wasn't looking to bless the king. He was looking to get from the king. He was looking to trade his horse for something greater, that he was trying to give himself a gift. And if we look at our hearts today, sometimes we do things that are good just so that we can get. Tim Keller explains this even better. He says, to truly become a Christian, we must also repent of the reasons we ever did anything right. Pharisees only repent of their sins, but Christians repent for the very roots of their righteousness too. We must admit that we've put our ultimate hope in both our wrongdoing and rightdoing, and we have been seeking to get around God or get control of God in order to get a hold of these things. So here we see that sometimes we can do a good thing for the wrong reason. And when we do that, that's sin. And if we've done, if we do some honest digging in our hearts here today, I think we can see some of the root of our good can be selfish gain. It could be vanity or it could be pride. That we often can do good things to be noticed, to build our name or our reputation. And even worse, to manipulate others, right? If I do this thing for him, 
Oh, he's going to be indebted to me. And then when I need it later, because I will, well, he's going to feel like he has to do it. So let me do this nice thing for him, you know, right? And, and these are things and ways that we can act. And I think a, a quick diagnostic to how, to how we deal with that is simply this, is that when we're praying, we need to ask God this question. God, this good that I'm going to do or this deed that I feel compelled to do, do you really want me to do that? Do you really want me to do it? Because a lot of times we can often be serving ourselves. And so back to the Pharisee, often this was the case for the religious leaders of that day. That in their good, in them doing good, they would do that to control the people. They would do that to keep their high social status. And remember, it was the good people that put Jesus on the cross. They used it for their own gain. And the question is, is that you? Is that me this morning? But here's the thing, there is hope. Jesus continues the parable. Verse 13, but the tax collector, again, these, we're sitting there listening to this parable, we're expecting, oh, this is the bad guy, right? Standing some distance away, this is the tax collector, was even unwilling to lift his eyes to heaven, but he was beating his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. And so here's a, a very different picture, quite the opposite picture. We see this man standing there. He was ashamed of his sin. And, and you can't beat your chest without having emotion. And he was full of emotion. He didn't glory in his goodness. He didn't try to make excuses. He didn't compare to anyone else. He just went before God and he asked for mercy. Look what Jesus says in verse 14. I tell you, this man went to his house condemned, forsaken, no, justified, rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. So as we look at this parable, we see that both of these men were bad. Both of them needed saving, like you and I need saving. But the difference between these men were where they placed their hope. One man placed his hope in his deeds, denying the existence of his sin, while the other placed his hope in his Savior and denied his sin, and thusly he received forgiveness. And see, Jesus told this parable to shatter the self-help, self-savior ideology that existed back then and that still exists today. And see, the reason why he was doing this is he was trying to point the listeners of, his, of this parable to himself because the plan was soon for him to die for both of those examples, for both the good person and both the bad person, right? So I want to end where we started. The first verse we looked at was Romans 3, 23. But there's a second half to that. I want to go through that quick. It says this, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, but then verse 24, being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, whom God displayed publicly, publicly as a propitiation in his blood through faith. So Jesus went to the cross, and now we see the result of the cross as that through our faith in Jesus, we are justified as a gift. We are justified as a gift. And Jesus wasn't, wasn't sacrificed in some secret little small area. He was, it, the Bible says, publicly 
that secular historians wrote about it, right? And consequently, when we see crosses everywhere in our culture, and so here's what we need to realize. When we see a cross in our culture, we need to realize that it was my sin and your sin that put Jesus there. And so how can we glory in our good deeds? How can we make that the source of our faith when the cross is what was needed to take my good deeds and your good deeds? I'm sorry, our sins, I mean, and erase them. Because he was a substitute. He satisfied the just wrath of God. And so now we can glory in the blood of Jesus, his sacrifice that changes everything. And so here's what I'm getting at here today. I'm not trying to make anyone feel horrible about themselves, but I'm trying to bring our focus to the one who changes everything, and it's Jesus. I want us to walk away with one phrase, and it's this, that Jesus is our Savior. Jesus is our savior, not you, not me, not trying to tip the scales that he broke the scale, he satisfied the scale and he covers my sin and your sin. And the coolest part about that is that he bestows his goodness onto us, enabling us to do good. And that's what the Bible says when it says that in him we were created to do good works, meaning that God gives you and me the ability to do good things, but it's not those good things that save us, it's Jesus that saves us. But now we get to be stewards of his goodness that comes from him, and it becomes a partnership instead of a solo mission. And so Christian, this morning, have you forgotten that the hope you stand on is a gift that you didn't earn? that you and I, we are broken. And we don't need Jesus just once, we need Jesus daily. We need him to continue to fuel our faith and our lives. And if you're not a Christian here this morning, you're new to faith, man, I hope that you would see that redemption is found in Jesus. That no longer do you need to feel inadequate. Like you're never gonna mount uh, mount up to a good person because but Christ, he died for you and he died for me. And he brings peace to your soul this morning. Maybe peace that you never knew you needed. And as that happens, he begins to transform your life. And I hope that you would put your faith in him this morning. And so what do we do? Okay, yes, Jesus is our savior. Well, then what should we walk away with? What should we be doing here this morning? Well, our practical application is this. Just one thing, to check your hope. Check your hope. What does that mean? Some of us need to check where the source of our hope is because we need to take our ultimate hope both off of our wrongdoing and both off of our right doing and place it back onto Jesus because Jesus is our savior. We can't save ourselves. We need to rest in him. And see, when we understand this, when we let this soak into our soul, we begin to see true faith take root, not American religion, not rules and regulations. We begin to see that God would use us to reach others in a way that we couldn't when our hearts were hard. When we realize that our salvation is a gift, we're then able to show mercy like we've been shown. We'll spend our lives looking to God, not looking to ourselves because Jesus is our savior. I'm gonna leave us with a quote. I think it's an amazing one. Tim Keller said it. Just been quoting him like crazy this week. But here it is. The gospel is this. 
We are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. Yet, at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. How is that possible? Not my goodness. Not your goodness. But Christ's that fuels us. Why? Because Jesus is our Savior. Would you guys just pray with me here this morning? God, we thank you that you're in the business of changing lives, that you're in the business of reminding us that even at our best, we still need you. And oftentimes, I pray, God, you forgive us for for leaning onto our performance when you've done the greatest performance on the cross. Man, so often I try to be my own savior. So often I try to outweigh the bad I've done. But God, thank you that it's you who deals with the indwelling sin and changes my heart that needs to be changed that sets me free, that sets us free from the things that we hold on to this morning. God, that you are the one who's come for us. No other faith, no other religion has a God that was willing to walk in his creation shoes. You've walked in ours and you let us put you on a cross because we thought we were good. And I pray today, God, that we would live set free God, that we wouldn't live confined to the sins that we've struggled with or the goodness that we try to pursue, but that you would transform our lives, that we would see a beautiful union of you working in our lives and our lives being transformed, God. But it starts with us leaning into you. And we do that here this morning, God. And as we stand up to sing in a moment, I pray that you would fill our hearts with your love, I pray you would remove condemnation in our souls that we would, again, like the tax collector, come before you and say, have mercy on me. And I thank you, God, that you are a God of mercy, that you are for us this morning. And so we invite you to do that in our lives. And we thank you and we pray all this in your name, Jesus. Amen.